Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for being here. You know, it's not often on this show that we talk directly about the column I write for the Detroit Free Press, but today we are starting with that very topic. It'll be a little different. Uh, On Sunday, I wrote a column about the DeVos family of West Michigan, founders of Amway. Uh, Dick DeVos is a former state party chair uh, uh, and... uh, ran for governor on the Republican ticket uh, many years ago, uh, and they have become almost single-interest lobbyists in this state uh, for schools of choice, or charter schools as we call them. And they play a huge role in funding that lobby and funding that lobby's efforts to sway GOP legislators. I wrote in a column over the weekend about how much money they have been sending to Republican uh, officials after the vote to protect charter schools from oversight earlier this year. And the, the, the numbers here are really staggering. $1.45 million in June and July alone. Over a seven-week period, that's an average of about $25,000 a day. Now, there's nothing wrong with people who have beliefs or interests, lobbying uh, state officials for those interests. That happens all the time. It happens in the Democratic Party. It happens in the Republican Party. It happens among independent interests. But where is the line crossed when someone is just trying to get their message across or moving into the area of quid pro quo, where Uh, The the idea is you do this and I will give you money for doing it. Certainly, uh, the the giving pattern this year from the DeVosses to the GOP suggests that that, that's a question we ought to be debating. Uh, Is this uh, money for something? Is this an effort to uh, influence in an illegitimate way uh, decision-making that should be about policy-making. Uh, we want to talk about that in the first two segments today. And joining me up front to uh, discuss uh, both the column and the numbers that we're seeing here are Rick Pluta, who is a Capitol Bureau chief at the Michigan Public Radio Network, and Craig Mauger, who is the executive director of the Michigan Campaign Finance Network. Guys, welcome to Detroit Today. Hello. Thanks hey. for having us. Yeah. Uh, and also, if you want to talk about uh, charter schools in Detroit, the, the the lobby to protect charter schools in Detroit, the landscape of schools here uh, in the city of Detroit. Uh, we have the Detroit Public School uh, District, I think is what it's called, the new the new name of Detroit Public Schools. That, that new district is kicking off today, hoping to attract enough students uh, to keep it solvent uh, going forward. Um, charter schools, of course, are still around and, and competing with those public schools. There are more students in the city of Detroit who attend those charter schools than who attend public schools. What do you think about all of that and the influence that has been wielded over that process and that dynamic from the outside, and particularly from uh, folks in uh, West Michigan, the DeVos family? 313 577 1019 is, of course, the number to join that conversation, 313-577-1019. And uh, Rick Pluto, I want to talk uh, with you first about the DeVos family. As I said up front, and I think I misspoke, it was not uh, Dick DeVos who was state party chair. It was Betsy DeVos, his wife. Betsy DeVos, yes. uh, Who was state party chair. Dick DeVos, of course, was the Republican 
candidate for governor against uh, Jennifer Granholm uh, the second time she ran uh, in in uh, 2006. Uh, that would have been. Uh, but but talk about the influence that they wield over this legislature. This is not, of course, the first time that's happened. If you go back to 2014 and take a look at DeVos giving uh, to the Republican Party, it's also uh, in, in the millions of dollars. Uh, uh, talk about how that relationship works with Republican legislators. Also talk about this earlier this year. Uh, I remember there being a concern about slower giving from the DeVosses before this bill was passed. Of course, it has picked up as a result, I believe, of that bill uh, taking shape the way it did. Well, if you go back to the 1990s when Betsy DeVos was the Michigan Republican Party chairwoman, you might remember that she left the office in a tiff with Governor John Engler over, um, over a strategy schools. for yeah. developing uh, more charter schools in the state that uh, she and her family wanted to pursue a ballot question. Um, John Engler, uh, who was a seasoned campaigner, said that it was a political loser that could cost Republicans in that particular election. She said, look, we have to stand for something, and left. And so the uh, DeVos family largely funded a uh, ballot drive to allow vouchers, and uh, it, it, it went down in flames. And so the family, which which is passionate about um you know this the issues of charter schools school choice uh, you know even vouchers uh, has uh, since then really really uh, worked the legislature and is uh, a a dominant influence if not uh, the dominant influence in uh, republican politics today yeah and uh, we've certainly seen this play out in the whole debate about what to do for the uh, Detroit public schools, that people who are charter school proponents, including the DeVosses, um, have, have a strong philosophical belief, but also see an opportunity here to really see how school choice, charter schools, and, and all of that uh, would play out in fixing a uh, major urban uh, school district. Yeah. Uh, uh, talk about what happened during... Uh, the debate over these bills, these DPS bills, <clears throat> the recent DPS bills in Lansing. Uh, of course, uh, you and I, with along with most other journalists up uh, in the state, were up uh, in Mackinac when the House uh, came up with its version of DPS reform that mm -hmm. was heavily weighted toward uh, preservation of the current charter landscape. Right. And then a few weeks later, the Senate uh, abandon its version for the House version. But but I can remember during that debate hearing from many legislators and other folks in, in Lansing about the, the lobbying that was going on and the things mm -hmm. that were being said to Republican legislators about what they were going to be expected to do uh, in order to get support from this very powerful West Michigan family. Right, where, where, where House Republicans basically became the firewall against what all of the other entities and, and interests wanted. Right. So we saw a division in terms of both process and policy that um, on the Senate side, Governor Rick Snyder, uh, Detroit business leaders were looking for a Detroit public schools overhaul that would have bipartisan support, that would have support from a critical mass of the city 
Chinese political structure, hoping that that would also reflect buy-in from you know the, the the people who live in Detroit and would have to make a decision as to where they were going to send their children to go to school. And um, then on the, the House side, uh, they were just a lot more adamant that we'll take Democratic votes if we can get it. We will take support from the Detroit caucus if we can get it. But we're willing to do a GOP go-it-alone version that's more charter-friendly if uh, that's what it comes down to. And that's what it came down to. Yeah. Well, and, and the question is, is that because those lawmakers believe that charter schools, uh, which, of course, have, have only delivered marginally better results here in Detroit than public schools, is it that they believe that those charter schools uh, deserved and had, had merited uh, the protection that they now enjoy from, from the sort of oversight that was in the Senate bill? Or were they doing that because uh, the, the, the money that funds their campaigns comes from an interest that uh, that believes that and that they they didn't have a choice. And I think that's a that's a question we can ask it, about it, lots it, of it, things. It's a right? fair question, and it is also a question that in many respects is impossible to answer because you don't always know, was a campaign donation a quid pro quo? You know, we'll, I mean, if, if it was specific, it would be illegal. But if that's you know, was there an understanding that you will, you know, do this regardless of what your personal thoughts are on this? Or does it occur because, you know, someone is already on your team? And if you look at, um, you know, how much the DeVos family plays in Republican primaries, that, um, you know, that, 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 you know, they've already been fairly effective in getting people who agree with them in the first place, you know, into the legislature. And just like, I'll, I'll, I'll point to one person in particular, State Representative Tim Kelly, who mm -hmm. chairs the uh, House K-12 Budget Subcommittee. He's been working on this since the 1990s when he served in the Engler administration. I don't think that you could, I, 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 I would not argue that a vote in favor of vouchers, charters, school choice, anything like that on his part is a, a, a quid pro quo. That's what he's believed, what and, he believes. And, and worked for for decades. Sure. So it's kind of impossible to measure. But I will say that there was a lot of grumbling, not just on the Senate side, but also from some third term, that is term limited House Republicans, that they really did feel like um, their caucus's position on education policy had kind of been, well, I, I, the word hijacked, hijacked had been right? you know, was used. Right. Yeah, there, there's, I would want to jump yeah, go in ahead, here Craig, and just Craig point Martin. something out. One of the, one of the most striking things that, um, that, I, that I saw from covering this debate over, the, uh, over education in Detroit um, this past year was I was talking to someone from the Coalition for the Future of Detroit School Children. That's the group that was kind of trying to form a compromise, work with both sides, the charter community and traditional This education. was the business leaders, yeah, the bus John Ricolta yeah. group that uh, yeah. came up with what was considered the compromise plan where yeah. everyone gave a little and got over. Yeah, it was kind of, and they were, in the end, they were working against the DeVos plan. They were kind of the two sides of this. So I was talking to someone from that coalition with a couple of weeks before the, the final vote was taken. And he said, um, he said, you know, what we're trying to do is amass so many interest groups that we have a, a, enough financial resources together to match what the DeVosses have. Right. So that just shows you how big of a role how money plays money in this. Yeah. That the DeVosses have 
all of this money and the opposing group is trying to get businesses together, unions together and try to say to lawmakers, look, we have all this money on our side too. But there, there's now this gets into a strategic question though and, and I was kind of pondering this when you were looking at, at, at the influence of money. Mm-hmm. It's also not just how willing people are to donate but how willing they are to not donate. So for yes, example, yeah, are yeah. unions ever going to give That's, to Republican insignificant numbers? No. no. When you look at um, mm-hmm. organizations like um, um, the Detroit Regional Chamber of Commerce and its political action committee yeah. versus the Great Lakes Education Project political action committee, which is the one yeah. largely funded by the DeVosses, which one is more likely to refuse to donate to, sit to a out. candidate because yeah. of this issue? Yeah. Yeah. DeVos's, it's period. DeVos's. And, and the other thing on they that... They play harder ball. Yeah, that's what it seems to, seems to be happening. And on top of that... People from the coalition came to the realization that they could just never match the finances that the DeVos family has. If you look at the statistics from past giving cycles, in 2013-2014, in the run-up to the 2014 election, we, we tracked the giving of a whole bunch of different families. The DeVos family gave nearly $5 million to candidates and PACs. The second biggest... Uh, contributing family in Michigan gave about $2 million. Yeah. So that's how much more money the DeVosses can give to anyone else. And one thing that often comes up when I talk about money and politics in Michigan, people say, well, there's someone on the Democratic side who's giving this much money too. You know, this is not being fair. You're looking at one family. But this family gives so much no, more money. No, there's not. Yeah. yeah. There's no one else that compares to them. Even on the national, um, if you look at this from a national perspective, there's been stories by national media outlets that say the DeVosses give more hard money, that's money that can be tracked through campaign finance disclosure systems, than anyone else. Yeah. I mean, any th- other this is how Any other family in the country. Are. Yeah. Uh, right. and, and we, sh- I mean, just, you know, to, to <clears throat> I, I, I don't want to argue absolute equivalence, but mm-hmm. it's, you know, we should argue that on, you know, all kinds of questions and certainly when it comes to partisan politics that, you know, no one is impervious to the effects of money. Mm-hmm, and sure. we know that when the party caucuses are developing their agendas for the year, one of the questions that they will ask in their closed door caucuses is how will this play with the funders? Yes. And, yeah. and that's what they're called. They're called the funders. And so it is certainly, um, you know, uh, um, it has an effect all the way around in developing party agendas. Yeah, uh, This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guests are Rick Pluta. He's the Capitol Bureau Chief at the Michigan Public Radio Network and Craig Mauger, the Executive Director of the Michigan Campaign Finance Network. We are talking <clears throat> about the giving that the DeVos family of West Michigan does to the Republican Party uh, with regard to a single issue in large part, school choice charter schools, whatever you want to call it, uh, the experimentation largely here in the city of Detroit with uh, alternative forms of public schools. This is an issue they care deeply about, and they have shown that with their pocketbooks. Uh, after the bills that have changed the system of, of governance here again for schools in Detroit, uh, the DeVos family has contributed $1.45 million to the GOP. Uh, is that a quid pro quo? Is that uh, making the GOP bought and paid for as this legislation came out? Uh, or is that just the way politics works? Is that just part of the process? And maybe people who think differently about schools ought to find somebody who will give an equal amount of money 
on the other side. If you want to join the conversation, uh, give us a call. What do you think about uh, West Michigan interest deciding what happens here in the city of Detroit for our public schools? Do you care uh, what the DeVos family pours money into? And is DPS so damaged uh, that the charter school movement is appealing to people here in Detroit? What do you think about the balance between schools of choice and charter schools and uh, and traditional public schools. 313-577-1019 is the number. 313-577-1019. Let's go to uh, Tom in Detroit. Tom, welcome to Detroit Today. Yeah, good morning. And they sold their their souls for 30 pieces of silver. You know what, Steve? I mean, if you look at this whole thing, I mean, I mean, this is and abhorrence for, you know, the DeVos family to do what, what they've done because they wanted to put the charter schools and hold them accountable to the same standards that they did with public schools. I know Mayor Duggan was talking about the number of schools that are downtown yeah. and the number of kids right. that don't fill those schools, whereas out in the neighborhoods, I mean, you know, you've got, what is it, um, you got Redford, you got Cody, you got uh, whatever. It, it's not a whole lot of high schools here to accommodate those students, and they've got to travel far and wide to try and get to one. And then what was the the Yes Academy just here, what, a couple of weeks ago, the high school? Yeah. I mean, it just ups and closes. Right. And people have to scramble around now to try and find somewhere to put their child in the high school. I mean, you know, um, this should not be, and I mean, you know, I, and I, don't get me wrong, I understand there is a saying that goes like this, uh, money is the mother's milk of politics. <laughs> and until we can get that mother's milk out of there, especially when you look at the kind of dollars that the DeVos family has poured into the GOP and also bought up those lawmakers up in Lansing, uh, I mean, you know, this thing, it, it, it's pathetic. It's yeah. pathetic. Yeah. Thanks uh, very much uh, for your call, Tom. Uh, Although, Stephen, you might remember there was a uh, point in the 1990s where charter schools were going to be part of the answer for the uh, high sure. school uh, shortage in Detroit, and uh, that also got uh, torpedoed by, uh, by politics. Yes, it did. That's absolutely right. Uh, let's go to Greg in Fraser. Greg, welcome to Detroit today. Hello. You there, Greg? Yep. Go ahead. Um, yeah, I, I just wanted to thank your program. I didn't realize that it, um, our school system in the state of Michigan uh, was that influenced by uh, by one family and, and school choices for um, kids. I just, I, I really just feel that um, we should have, we should take the schools off of the property tax um, funding model, and um, uh, so we can fund schools, all, so all the schools can be funded the same regardless of where they are in the state. Um, and just get money out of politics. That's all I'm saying. If, if we could have state-sponsored elections, that would be uh, that, that way. Yes. You get the best idea. Yeah. The best ideas are not influenced by all this money. Yeah, uh, I guess that's uh, an ideal situation. But I, I just never realized uh, school systems are that influenced by by. Uh, by, by uh, all this big money. Yeah. Or, I mean, uh, essentially what you're talking about is publicly financed uh, campaigns uh, for, for state office, yeah. Elections, yeah. Uh, public financing of, of, of the schools. Um, it, again, if, if I could mention, I think if the state had its own bank, it w- uh, where you had a state bank, you could finance all this through the state bank. All your money would stay safe in the state bank. It wouldn't be, uh, you wouldn't put all this public money at risk 
um, in, in these commercial banks that are in, in all these derivatives. Um, and you'd be able to loan money out to different school systems. Uh, and you'd be able to borrow money at like, you know, uh, the rate uh, the Federal Reserve lends it out. Yeah. And uh, I think that's one of the solutions to the funding issue for the state. But I, I just that's my two cents. Thank All you. Right. Greg, thanks for- as always uh, for calling in. And again, if you want to join the conversation here, talk about uh, the DeVos family, its influence over uh, the state GOP, that influence, of course, wielding consequences uh, here in the city of Detroit uh, in terms of the way that we deal with uh, schools, charter schools, public schools. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number, 313-577-1019. Craig Mogger, I want to give you a chance to, to respond to what Greg said there about uh, public financing of uh, campaigns and elections. Uh, that's not. There are some states where they are experimenting with that, or forms of it, or or, or small scale, I suppose, uh, examples of it. Uh, Michigan is not a place where we're even in the ballpark of talking <laughs> about that kind of reform. Yeah. I think that, yeah, I mean, if you talk about public financing of elections, where that would be on the spectrum of campaign finance reform would be totally on the other side of where Michigan is on this issue right now. Um, There was a nonprofit group that's a national group that kind of ranked uh, all 50 states when it comes to transparency and accountability, and they ranked Michigan 50th out of all 50 states. Um, So public financing of elections would be far on the other side. Um, there was some talk about a ballot measure in the city of Lansing to, in, to institute some type of public financing of elections, and it just never um, coalesced and never got going. Um, it, it's just, that would be a very tough ask right now yeah. in the political environment. And it, when it comes to campaign finance reforms, the various options that could improve what's going on, that one would um, be ready for, oppo- you know, it would set up a lot of things where opponents could just attack it and say this is a waste of money, this right. is... Could you imagine what the debate on that would be in the <laughs> legislature to put it on the ballot? You know, when yeah. you yeah. look at all the priorities that we have, we have yeah, roads, we have yeah. schools, that, that, that we have public safety. Yeah. And are we really going to spend it helping politicians to get elected? Uh, yeah. And we have had kind of an experiment in voluntary mm-hmm. public funding of campaigns with the income tax checkoffs. Mm-hmm. And uh, people are che- you know, have just been checking them off less and less and less yeah. to the point that there's so little money left in the kitty that, that, that at the national and state levels that the candidates have just said, not worth it. Yeah. And yeah. we've and Michigan, less money as campaigning becomes yeah. more expensive. Yeah. yeah. And we've just in Michigan sort of opened the floodgates to all kinds of funding of of alternative I guess uh, ways of funding uh, campaigns mm-hmm. with uh, our our inability to deal with dark money, our unwillingness, I yeah. suppose, to deal with dark money and these other things. I mean, we really are sort of a dirty state uh, w- in the context of other states when it comes to this kind of this kind of funding. Yeah. And in 2013, our legislature took an affirmative vote to continue to allow dark money. They took an affirmative vote to raise the campaign contribution limits, to allow more money to pour into politics. So, I mean, they're going in a totally different direction from where the public's at right now. And and the fact that they didn't feel like they were going to um, risk serious consequences at the ballot box from that, I I think, tells you you something about what they're seeing from their internal polling. From their constituents. Sure. Yeah, from from their constituents when uh, when when things like this happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right. they did do it at the end of an off year. Uh, right, there was hands, no election. Uh, that year. You know, they did it in a couple of weeks. So. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, when we come back, we're going to continue our. 
discussion about the influence of big out-state Republican donors on things like the Detroit Public Schools. Uh, I'm going to keep uh, Rick Pluta, Capitol Bureau Chief of the Michigan Public Radio Network, and Craig Mogger, Executive Director of the Michigan Campaign Finance Network, on the line. And stay with us on the phones. Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number to join the conversation. Bill in Gross Point, Lee in Detroit. We'll get to you next. Stay with us on Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for being here. My guests are Rick Pluta, who's the Capitol Bureau Chief of the Michigan Public Radio Network. And Craig Mogger, who's the executive director of the Michigan Campaign Finance Network, we're talking uh, about the DeVos family of West Michigan, the money that they give to uh, GOP causes and candidates, the money they have given specifically to those causes and candidates since the vote to protect charter schools, which uh, the DeVos family is very fond of, from uh, the, the kind of oversight that was proffered by the governor, by a very broad spectrum of interest here in Southeast Michigan by the state Senate earlier this year. The DeVosses didn't want uh, charter schools subjected to those oversights, and so they wielded their influence in Lansing to push things in the other direction. Is that okay? Is it okay to use your money, uh, no matter how much of it you have, to influence politics in that way? Or is there something unseemly about that? Should these debates be about policy as opposed to the size of one side's interests? Uh, give us a call, 313-577-1019, if you want to join the conversation, talk about the DeVos influence over education here in the city of Detroit, talk about the DeVos influence over the GOP here in Michigan statewide, uh, talk about the balance between public and charter schools. Uh, one of the arguments that we've had for 20 years now in the city of Detroit is about the value of charter schools, which are themselves public schools, but uh, governed independently from the school district. Are they a good influence on education here in Detroit? Do they deserve the kind of protection that they have right now under state law from oversight, uh, accountability for their performance? Uh, all of those things that we are talking about doing to the public schools. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number. 313-577-1019. Let's go to Bill in Gross Point. Bill, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, Mr. Henderson. Thanks for having me, and uh, welcome to both your guests. You have a great panel today. My question really is, you know, the, it's pretty clear the Detroit school system is underperforming. That's been known for a long time. What I don't understand is what the real motive is behind the DeVos contributions and others of, you know, uh, you know similar wealth. I, I have a hard time believing that it's purely altruistic. There has to be more to it. And I, and I also don't believe that it's just raw union-busting. And, you know, on top of that, it's pretty clear that the charter schools, at least in general, haven't performed much better than the Detroit public schools as a whole. So what's really going on? And uh, I'll be glad to take my to take the answer off the air. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you very much for that call, Bill. Uh, Craig Mogger, how do you answer 
Bill's criticism there. Uh, I mean, I think there are a couple things there. One is that this is the DeVos's approach to this issue from what I gather from people who are, you know, in the room talking to people uh, about these bills and when they're being debated in the legislature, uh, th this is a philosophical debate. I mean, the DeVos's have a philosophical stand <laughs> about not regulating charter schools to having open school choice, um, and they want to protect that. I mean, they, they give money to candidates in other states. Uh, they, they, they have a feeling that they must do everything they can to protect school choice, and they wield their influence that way. Um, F. Scott Fitzgerald famously said, the rich aren't like you and me. And um, there are few people who are richer um, in, in the world than the DeVos family. And people who achieve a, a certain level of wealth um, feel um, a need, for, for whatever reasons, feel a need to bend society in a direction that they think that it ought to go. And the DeVos family's, you know, influence on um, public policy isn't limited to uh, mm -hmm. charter schools. And there's another very active issue in Lansing right now, which is an overhaul of uh, our energy policy. And in the same way that the DeVos family has um, fought vociferously, um, you know, through funding um, educational organizations, political action committees, as well as making campaign donations, is really, you know, playing out largely the same strategy when it comes to expanding what's called energy choice, the ability for customers, both corporate customers and individual residential customers, to peel away from the incumbent main utility and choose a another energy provider, even one from uh, even one from out of state. So this is really an, an, an effort. It would you know appear to be an effort by a family that's acquired a lot of wealth to bend society in the direction they think it ought to go. Yeah, uh, let's go to Lee in Detroit. Lee, welcome to Detroit today. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, not only do I I think that it's wrong for them uh, to do what they're doing. Uh, from across the state and have no repercussions, I think it, it's criminal. I think it's criminal that you can open up a charter school, have a kid in it for a year, maybe a year and a half, close the school down, you take a couple of million dollars out of the Detroit uh, school system, and then you're gone. And then you can start again in, in another year, open up another charter school, take some more money as your salary as a CEO of whatever education company you're running at the moment, and then close the school down. Meanwhile, there's no kid getting educated at that school, right? So after how many years you're in high school, you know, you can't go to college because you haven't been educated. You haven't gone, you know, through a system that allows you to go on to college. And if you know that you can't get a, a, a job with a college education, how hard it is, you know, it's impossible to get a job with a high school education, which means that more likely you're in prison. So I wonder how much stock does the Zavod family own in for-profit prisons here in Michigan? Yeah, uh, great, great points, uh, Lee. And uh, always, as always, thanks very much uh, for for uh, calling in and, and sharing them. Uh, let's go to David in St. Clair Shores. David, welcome to Detroit today. Uh, good morning, Stephen. Uh huh. Uh, definitely share Lee's uh, passion for this, uh, this conversation. And I, this is a great conversation to listen to this morning. Um, I think that you can zoom this conversation out all the way out to how we fund education in Michigan, Proposal A, um, and uh, Headley, for example. But as someone who continues to look um, 
into buying a home back in the city, as a couple of my friends have. Education is a big part of that. And what I see at the end of the day is that we're still running um, a test experiment uh, that really hasn't bore fruit, which you guys have uh, touched on several times, um, on the most vulnerable uh, children in our state educationally uh, and uh, socioeconomically. Uh, so, you know, we we continue to let there be less oversight. Not, more times than not, I am a, a supporter of uh, the social and political causes of organized labor uh, and, I, and community groups, and I appreciate Rick uh, Plute, I believe it was, who commented on, well, you know, kind of was playing devil's advocate. Oh, well, the other side spends money, too. Not as much per capita as the DeVosses are able to wield uh, when you compare it to uh, their opponent. Yeah. Uh, so it is just, it is a, an important conversation. I wish more people were listening to it because as Detroit continues to uh, grow rather than shrink for the first time in decades, um, this is something that people are going to be faced with the reality of uh, as their kids uh, become able to go to school. Uh, so thanks a lot for having this conversation. All right, David, thanks uh, very much for your call. Uh, Rick Pluta, uh, Capitol Bureau Chief, Michigan Public Radio Network, and Craig Mogger, Executive Director of Michigan Campaign Finance Network. Thanks for being here. Craig, uh, it's early in the in the giving cycle as well, and this amount of money, which is about equivalent to the amount of money they gave in 2014, uh, we're at that already. So, I mean, I think it's it's reasonable to assume we're looking at uh, a far bigger statement uh, to be made from the DeVosses this election cycle. I mean, they, they've got a lot of time to still give a lot of money. Yeah, there's a lot of time left, but, but one thing with the DeVos giving to consider is they do a lot of their giving before the primary election. That's what I was going to say. Yes. It's actually late in the giving cycle since most elections in Michigan are determined the in the primaries, right. not in yeah. the general. Yeah, they, 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 um, they give to a lot of candidates in competitive Republican primary races because they really want to shape what the Republican caucus looks like. They want to elect people um, to these seats. Um, these GOP seats that are pro pro school choice because that's their stance and and that's what they're working to do in primary elections. I mean, they gave to I think it was about 20 candidates before the primary election maximum $1,000 contributions from nine members of the family. So that's $9,000. Uh, a really solid candidate when it comes to fundraising raises about $100,000 before the primary. That's really I mean that's a big number. That's a yeah. big haul. So $9,000 out of a hundred thousand. I mean that's that's a chunk of hundred thousand sure. right there. Sure. Sure. Okay, uh, Rick Pluta and Craig Mogger, thanks again for being here on Detroit Today. Pleasure. Uh, Thank right. you. Uh, up next, we're going to talk with author Peter Ho Davies about his new book exploring immigration and cultural assimilation throughout American history. Stay with us on Detroit Today.